YY and Billy Penn. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolness from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the news and uh, notes and rumors going on around the Phillies as uh, it looks like they could still be eyeing some starting pitching maybe after missing out on Yamamoto and after signing Aaron Nola to a contract. Are they still in the market for one of the top free agent starting pitchers out there? We'll get into that. We'll get into some stuff Dave Dombrowski told the Philadelphia Inquirer today regarding plans for the rest of the offseason. And we're going to talk some Hall of Fame stuff with Fangraphs senior writer Jay Jaffe and author of the book, The Cooperstown Casebook, no better expert, frankly, than the guy who invented a metric, a statistic that is being used by voters to determine who's worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. That's the guy to talk to. And we're going to talk about Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins, Bobby Abreu, and some uh, other, another Philly that uh, was from that 2007 to 11 team that uh, I think has a good shot of getting in the Hall of Fame. All that stuff coming up here on this edition of Hit and Season. But before we dive right into the guts of the show, I want to remind you folks to vote for Hitting Season for Best Baseball Podcast of 2023. Again, we are one of 12 finalists over at sportspodcastgroup.com. Uh, the finalists were announced uh, for these different awards, and we would love to take home the title, especially because it means that uh, we would be uh, beating out people like John Heyman uh, for for this. And I, you know, I don't know John Heyman personally, but you know, he's got a he's got a great big newspaper behind him and a great big national show. And, you know, he's going up against a bunch of, uh, you know, we're going up against CBS's Fantasy Baseball Today and the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. These are all big, big podcasts. So we need your support to win this. Go to sportspodcastgroup.com uh, and there you can see right on the front page how to vote for the different uh, topics. We are the we're in the, uh, the, the best baseball podcast category. Uh, and if you click on that link, you'll see Hit and Season right there. All you got to do is answer just say they ask you a couple of questions and that's basically it about your about your 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 podcasting what you like to listen to that sort of thing you can vote for hit and season and then just maybe david will slay these Goliaths uh, that we're going up against here. But uh, really, it is an honor just to be a finalist uh, among these podcasts and uh, to be considered one of the best baseball podcasts in America in 2023. Uh, so would uh, ask you all to go to sportspodcastgroup.com and vote for Hit and Season right now. Pause the podcast. Stop it right now. Get on your computer and go do it right now. And then you can come back and listen to me talk about some Philly stuff. Go ahead. Go do it right now. I'll wait right here. Okay, you're back. Okay, good. Let's get started uh, with the rest of the podcast. Now, a lot of the rumors involving the Phillies at this moment continue to revolve around the starting pitching market. Now, how much of this is because you've got agents like Scott Boris out there who are talking to their national writers and trying to get the Phillies involved or make it seem like the Phillies are involved in these discussions in order to get other teams moving a little bit more? Competition, of course, breeds more competition. And so you want you want teams to raise their offers, make them believe that the Phillies are potentially interested as well. To me, it seems like this is the last place, not the last place, but that the Phillies really don't need to be going out and getting another high end starting pitcher. I certainly would not be opposed to them doing it if that's what they decided needed to be done. But it just doesn't seem like the best allocation of resources. And I don't think there's a never ending well of money coming from John Middleton. He is a guy who does want to spend. He is spending big on this team. He'll spend for the right players. It doesn't seem like they were willing to spend more than $300 million on Yamamoto. We know that much. That has been reported in multiple different places. That is, the Phillies were ready to give 
a Japanese starting pitcher who had never pitched in the big leagues before, a $300 million plus contract. Guys, have you guys wrapped your minds around that? That the Phillies were willing to do that? Can you imagine what the payroll would have looked like knowing that some other moves still needed to be made? Knowing that you want to have a Zach Wheeler extension added along to that? So the Phillies are clearly willing to spend money. They're clearly willing to go over these different luxury taxes now. They only paid $8 million in luxury taxes last season. So the luxury tax itself is not all that much of a of an anchor around their neck. And when we talked to Mike Farron a couple of weeks ago, he poo-pooed a lot of the other uh, measures the, the penalties put in place for teams that go over the luxury tax. And so it doesn't, it doesn't sound as though the Phillies are really restricting themselves in that way. So maybe some of these different rumors that we're hearing about Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery to the Phillies, may, maybe it's not crazy. The, the aforementioned uh, John Heyman mentioned in a recent uh, column for the New York Post that the Phillies, noting that they made a real attempt for Yamamoto, um, they remain in play to sign another top free agent starter, including Montgomery and Snell. Um, and then one of the one of the other things that I saw today uh, was uh, attributed to Chris Cotillo of Mass Live, who's reporting that Snell could be looking at a shorter term deal, say like a three year deal with a higher average annual value than something longer term. And it would also include opt outs that he speculates might be more enticing for a team like the Phillies who is in a win now mode. Now, one of the one of the drawbacks from signing Blake Snell as a free agent is, of course, there's the qualifying offer, which you have to decide. The Phillies have had no trouble, had no problem signing free agents attached to qualifying offers in recent years. Do they want to continue to do that? And do they want to do that for a guy like Blake Snell, who, again, if, if the Phillies are interested in him at his age, you probably don't want to sign him to a six or a seven year deal. But if you can get him on a three year deal with an opt out after the first or the second year, Maybe that's maybe that's a better maybe that makes you feel better. Maybe that makes it a little bit safer for you if you're Dave Dombrowski and Sam Fold and 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 John uh, and uh, and John Middleton. But is that worth paying? You know, dealing with the penalties for signing a free agent to a qualifying who's offered given a qualifying offer, you're gonna have to give up draft picks again to do that. I don't. I still don't think Blake Snell makes a whole lot of sense for this team. Because if you do get him on a shorter deal, if you do get him on a two or a three year deal where there are opt outs in that contract, yes, you're you're hedging against being on the hook for big money for a pitcher who's declining into their late 30s. But you're also dealing with the the penalties for the for the qualifying offer guy. And you're only getting maybe one year out of Blake Snell, maybe two years out of Blake Snell. If he's really, really good in 2024, it's almost certainly one year. He's almost certainly going to opt out. Is that worth signing a free agent who was made a qualifying offer? I don't think that it necessarily is. Now, the guy who is, and maybe this is, you know, gonna maybe the the offer to Yamamoto will help. The guy who is garnering a significant amount of interest around Major League Baseball, not just with the Phillies, is another Japanese import, a left-hander named Shota Imanaga. And Jeff Passan of ESPN is reporting that he could get a deal north of $100 million from some team. Now, 
Passan notes that Imanaga is not nearly the pitcher that Yamamoto is and actually compares him to left-hander Yusei Kikuchi, who signed with the Toronto Blue Jays before the 2019 season. Kikuchi, in his career, had just over 1,010 innings pitched, um, which is just a couple innings more than Imanaga. Kikuchi had a career 2.77 ERA. Imanaga's is 3.18. And Kikuchi got a four-year, $56 million deal from Toronto. They're saying that Imanaga could get more than $100 million. Now, Minaga, again, did not have as good a numbers in Japan as Kikuchi, but you're looking at somebody who's going to essentially double what Kikuchi got, um, was it 2019, about three or five years ago. So, you know, it's, I like, I'm intrigued by this Japanese left-hander. I think it would be good for the Phillies to actually land a solid Japanese free agent, but this might be too much money for a pitcher like this. And, but it also is below what Snell and uh, Montgomery are going to get. Jordan Montgomery are going to get. Jordan Montgomery's not is going to get well over a hundred million dollars, probably like 150, 170 million dollars. But Passan notes that um, all of the usual suspects could use more starting pitching. San Francisco, both New York teams, both Los Angeles teams, Boston, even Philadelphia could make a play for Imanaga. And this is going to happen quickly. His 45-day posting window expires on January 11th. So I would I would certainly expect to see him uh, signed by someone, maybe even by the end of this week, but certainly next week. He will sign with a team here in the major leagues. He's an interesting guy, nicknamed the Throwing Philosopher. He was an all-star in Japan this year. Uh, he had an ERA of 2.66 in 159 innings of work this year, uh, struck out, you know, one batter per nine. Uh, I know. Yeah. One batter per, no, one batter per inning, not one batter per nine. That would be bad. Uh, he struck out a batter per inning, 159 strikeouts and 159 innings, uh, and was the, uh, was the central league strikeout champion, uh, for his league. So if you slotted him into the Phillies rotation, uh, you either go with a six-man rotation or you just make Christopher Sanchez start the season in AAA or you have him in the bullpen as a, a long man and depth piece. I would think that if the Phillies want to keep him on a regular starting schedule um, or they would try to or they could trade Christopher Sanchez, or they could try and trade Taiwan Walker. Of course, I think that would be the first choice. They would try to tr- trade Taiwan Walker to someone. I don't know that there'd be a whole lot of takers out. The Phillies would have to eat a lot of that Taiwan Walker money, uh, but maybe they get something a little bit better in return. I just don't think Walker has a whole lot of trade value. You'd essentially be salary dumping to create a spot. And, the, and one of the things the Phillies want to do if they do get another starting pitcher is to give themselves a little more in depth. Now, signing a guy like Imanaga, that's not a depth signing. Right, you throw you sign a guy to a hundred million dollar plus deal. That's not a depth signing. That's a guy you're expecting to be a part of your rotation for the next four, five, six years, and then that that calls into play a potential Ranger Suarez contract extension a couple years down the line. Do you have enough money if you're going to sign? You've signed Nola. If you're going to extend Wheeler, you're going to sign this Imanaga guy. Can you afford to also extend Ranger Suarez? You you probably can't do all of those things. So again, the the. The continued linking of the Phillies to different starting pitcher possibilities on the free agent market, it still just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. The stuff that Dave Dombrowski is saying, telling the Inquirer on Wednesday, telling them that they're not telling, you know, everybody that the Phillies are not done, despite the fact that they've been inactive. They're not done. They haven't put their pencils away. They are still looking at depth starting pitchers. Now, 
Dabrowski said the reason why it's taking so long, you know, they have a list of names. He said they got a bunch of names that they like. But a lot of the starting pitchers who are available out there are kind of waiting out the market. They're waiting to see where Blake Snell goes. They're waiting to see where Imanaga goes and Montgomery goes because they want to try and land a job in the starting in somebody's starting rotation. And heaven knows there are enough Major League Baseball teams out there that have spots in their starting rotation for some of these guys. If if some of these depth pieces that the Phillies are looking for are going to sign in Philadelphia, it's probably going to be on a minor league deal. So it might not be, it's certainly not going to be somebody that you get excited about. Maybe they bring back somebody like Michael Lorenzen. That, that could be a possibility. I don't know that that would be the worst thing in the world. I know that would probably make a lot of people upset because Lorenzen was not good at the end of last year. But if he's your number six starter and he's filling that kind of a role, a hybrid role going back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation, or maybe he is your a, a bullpen guy full time or, or he's a he is a starter and a six man, whatever it is, that's the kind of name that I think Dave Dombrowski is thinking about. At least that's what he's saying out loud. Whether or not behind the scenes they're actually making a push for a guy like Imanaga or Montgomery or even Blake Snell, I just, I don't think that's what's happening. But can I say for sure that Dave Dombrowski isn't doing that? No. No, I can't. So uh, the Phillies are going to monitor the market, according to Dave Dombrowski. Uh, They are expected to focus more on extension talks with Zach Wheeler and adding uh, some all-important depth on the roster's margins. And Dabrowski noted that that takes time because you do have spring training six weeks away and free agent starters are still looking for the best chance to get a spot in somebody else's starting rotation. Uh, But he he did note also that, you know, the Phillies are looking at trying to find a Craig Kimbrell replacement. Uh, They seem to really like Kirkering as a, a... a back of the rotation guy, but it seems as though Dombrowski does concede that it would be good to bring somebody else in, but also understanding you just can't have a team loaded with star players. So again, I don't think Josh Hader is a guy that's coming in here again, unless like I mentioned on the last podcast, if he's withering on the vine in late February, then I could see Dave Dombrowski reaching out and seeing if Hader wants to come on a one or a two year deal or something like that. But until that happens, it's just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now. Uh, the one, name that uh, that uh, uh, Scott Lauber mentioned in his piece was uh, Hector Neris, possibly, uh, as, a, as an option to come back to Philadelphia. It's somebody that, uh, that we've talked about here on the podcast, because uh, Hector Neris has been very good these two years uh, in Houston, a 1.71 ERA in 71 appearances for the Astros last year. He also mentioned Robert Stevenson, who we've talked about on the podcast. Justin went into great depths about in speaking about how the Rays tweaked his his slider, his cutter. And there is a connection. Stevenson worked with Caleb Cottom while Cottom was with the Reds in 2019 and 2020. And we've mentioned a number of the different options on the reliever market. So there's some th- th- things the Phillies could do in free agency. And again, the Phillies are also reluctant to sign a starting outfielder in left field that could potentially take plate appearances away from Johan Rojas. I feel like Johan Rojas is going to start the season on the big league roster starting in center field. I don't think they're going to get out. I don't, I just don't think they're going to go out and get an Adam Duvall or Jock Peterson um, or, or anything like that. I just don't see it. Certainly not something like a Jorge Soler or anybody like that, unless, you know, if Soler's out there and it can be having like a one-year $8 million deal, maybe they do that. And again, that's the thing. Depending on how long some of these pitchers, hitters, whoever it is, how long they last in the free agent market, this very slow-moving free agent market, you feel like a dam is going to burst at some point. 
once Cody Bellinger signs, the dam's going to burst. Reese Hoskins will sign somewhere. These other outfielders will sign somewhere. But it's kind of all waiting on Cody Bellinger and and, and how that's going to work itself out. The the starting pitching market is waiting on on specifically Snell and Montgomery probably, but also Imanaga too. They're waiting on Josh Hader for that market to to work. There's these there, there are big players, big stars that are still just kind of waiting out the market. It's slow moving. A lot of times, as we saw with Nick Castellanos, a lot of times those slow developing markets don't really get going until February. And then you get teams like the Phillies and smart general managers, team presidents like Dave Dombrowski, who understand the market dictates that something is a smart play, that this is an opportune time to make yourself better. And it's an opportunity cost type deal. I think that's what we're going to see with, with the Phillies. So they're, they're waiting this process out because there's just not a lot of eagerness for some of these guys to sign right now. It's it's a two-way street. Guys have to be willing to sign. You're not signing Hector Neris to a, a three-year, $35 million deal. If you did, then you could probably have him in the fold. But they, they there's just, there's no, there's no stomach for that right now. So that's kind of where things are in terms of, uh, of what the Phillies are doing on the free agent market, on the trade market, it's all very slow moving. But it, guess what, gang? It's slow moving for every team in Major League Baseball. It's slow going for every team around the majors because is that this this free agent market is just taking so long to unfold, and it's going to continue that way for a little while. Well, we are in the middle of Hall of Fame season, so we've had some other things to talk about while we wait for teams around the majors to, you know, sign free agents, trade players, and in order, you know, make some news in general. And so we can look at the the, the players who are on these ballots, and we see these uh, writers who are submitting ballots, most of them public, but uh, a few we don't know about. And it's been kind of a fascinating journey to see who's picking whom, and it's certainly a little bit of, there's some controversy involved every year with some of these ballots, but uh, there's one guy to talk to about the Hall of Fame, and you know you're going to get the good stuff. And that's Jay Jaffe, who, of course, is a senior writer for Fangraphs. Uh, in my opinion, the keeper of the Hall of Fame flame. And he's the author of uh, the quintessential book on the Hall of Fame. It's called the Cooperstown Casebook. It's all about all the players who are in, who didn't get in, who could get in one day. Uh, terrific read if you're ever looking for, you know, some some good stats, some good numbers, some good reasons why some guys are in and some guys are out. No better guy to talk to in the middle of this Hall of Fame stuff than Jay. Hey, thanks for coming back on Hitting Season. How are you? Hey, I'm good, John. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I always love talking to you about this stuff. And as Phillies fans, over the last couple of years, we've been pretty engaged in the Hall of Fame process because there have been a couple of guys who spent the majority of their careers in Philadelphia. And we're especially excited this year because it's the first year that Chase Utley is on the ballot. And, you know, while Phillies fans sometimes are not the most realistic fans in the world, I think we all have a general idea that Chase Utley is not going to get in here in this first time on the ballot. Certainly, the numbers are not trending this way, but uh, I think so far the support that he's gotten has been pretty good. What do you think about the support he's gotten thus far? Are you are you surprised that it's gone as as well as it has? Do you think it's gone well? I guess is the is the better question. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty pleased. I mean, in the tracker, he's got 45 percent, and while that looks like a long way off from the 75 percent he's going to need, um, when I was asked uh, in the uh, ballot tracker team's VIP poll last year, I guessed 17% for the first time. Oh, wow. Um, so he is, uh, you know, and, and, and I expect this percentage could come down a bit. Mm -hmm. um, he's got so he's got some obstacles. You know, his career is a bit short, only 1,885 hits. Um, as I've uh, 
uh, cautioned uh, since the moment he announced his retirement, and, and um, which was my first year at Fangraphs. Um, the BBWAA uh, has not elected any players with fewer than 2,000 hits uh, whose careers took place uh, in the post-1960 expansion era, um, which is to say um, you'd have to break a precedent there for, for Utley with his 1,885 hits to get in. It's possible that Andrew Jones could beat him to the punch. Um, those are really, they would be the first two guys I, I would think of that, that really could test this. The only um, uh, player post-expansion players who have gotten in um, uh, via the era committees, uh, Jill Hodges and Tony Oliva, uh, who were elected in on the 2022 uh, uh, Golden Days ballot, um, long time of coming for both uh uh so this is a relatively new thing so it that is an obstacle but yeah i am pleased to see utley getting support i mean you know the model for you know and i think the source of my fears uh was that he would become like bobby gritch who got less than five percent in his uh loan appearance on the ballot in 1992 i believe it was um and uh was cast into oblivion has never even made a veterans committee or an era committee ballot since then um Gritch is actually a little bit higher than Utley in the Jaws rankings at second base. Kind of similar player. Uh, a lot of uh, secondary skill there, you know, bases on balls, power, uh, great fielding, uh, as opposed to just putting up uh, high batting averages, which, you know, was a lot more of the yardstick in, in, in his day. Um, so, you know, I see some similarities there. So my 17% my, my guess uh, was, was uh, kind of... Uh, uh, founded in this fear that he could be somebody like Bobby Gritch, who just people didn't, you know, enough voters did not, you know, did not know mm -hmm. uh, what they needed to know about him. But it seems like we've done a good job of getting the word out. And I think I'll take I'll take forty five percent for a start. Most players who get that who, who get to forty five percent at any point eventually get in. So mm. um, this would be a very positive development for Chase. And it really does seem as though, you know, we've been talking about really over the last decade or so, the changing nature of the folks in the Baseball Writers Association of America uh, who, are, who are who are casting their votes, that the, the vote casters will start to change. I know you get you, you vote and, and a number of other people who mostly write on the Internet are, are now voting, whereas before it was there was a lot of legacy writers who, who were just kind of in the game for a long time, some of whom didn't even really cover baseball anymore, but used to cover and still had a vote and so uh, do you see that the the changing is there a big change in in the demographics of the voters that you think is is helping players like utley and you know people like him in the future to maybe um make it so that you know those old benchmarks that you needed to hit aren't necessarily going to be the benchmarks you need to hit moving forward yeah i think we've seen that already maybe over the past uh 10 10 years or so we saw um and i think it was 2015 or so uh, the Hall of Fame passed a rule that writers who were more than 10 years removed uh, from covering baseball on an active basis would be sunsetted out of the vote. Um, and that has uh, trimmed the electorate by, uh, um, boy, I guess about a quarter, um, mm. down, from, down from the 500-something to, to just below 400-something. Um, uh, a little bit more than that uh, down. And, and that has... Um, you know that those are a lot of uh, older voters who, you know, are less likely to use advanced statistics, less likely to refer to Jaws, uh, less likely to vote for for 
PED linked players, regardless of when the PED uh, allegations uh, date to um, more likely to have their foundations in, in, in old school statistics uh, in terms of how they vote mm-hmm. um, to be more conservative with their ballots in terms of how many names they put on it. Um, we've seen this and, and, you know, now it's, it's, um, uh, it it's changed a bit. And, you know, that's not to say that it's necessarily a great thing, especially with the way that our media, uh, you know, the, the, the baseball uh, industry media has, has uh, contracted with the loss of several publications and yeah. cut, cutbacks at newspapers and things like that. Those are negative developments. Um, they do uh, have some positive developments in terms of the, uh, the what we're voting for, you know, how how we're voting for the Hall of Fame. So that's a, that's a silver line there. And we, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, I'm always very conservative when I when I uh, uh, guesstimate what a what a candidate's chances are, and and maybe it's um, uh, a testament to my own <laughs> impact in in this. Um, yeah. you know, to put it lightly. Um, yeah, that that a lot of these guys exceed my expectations. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I like when I do my five-year outlooks, I'm constantly having to revise them every year because there are guys getting in ahead of my schedule mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, and things like that. It's rare that a guy, you know, slips a year um, and doesn't get in and, and, and messes is that more likely it's, it's uh, uh, accelerated a bit. So um, yeah, I, you know, long story short. Yes. We're seeing these yeah. changes. And for people who don't know, uh, you mentioned Jaws, and just so people understand, this is a metric that that you created that you can find on on Baseball Reference that compares players across eras and, and generations and takes into account a number of different factors. So it's a very, uh, very cool number. It's a it's a, it's a very uh, helpful number to, to help you gauge different players across different generations that that people uh, should check out when they go look at the baseball reference uh, uh, listings of all the different players who are eligible year by year. And, you know, you just mentioned some of the the headwinds uh, that Utley could potentially be facing over these next few years. Although, like you mentioned, he's doing, he's doing better than I think a lot of us expected. So you wrote a piece for Fangraphs a couple of weeks ago that I it seemed to me be a, to be a, a full-throated uh, support of, of Utley uh, to be in, in the Hall of Fame, despite the fact that he doesn't have the 2,000 hits. What were some of the arguments that you think most uh, uh, paint that story best for him? Well, I think, you know, when you look at Chase Utley's career, I mean, for, you know, for one thing, um, he didn't get a chance to play regularly until his age 25 season because the Phillies had a pretty good second baseman in Placida Polanco. Um, you know, we've seen time and again, teams make mistakes in terms of, um, you know, keeping the prospect down and uh, uh, playing a, you know, a, 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 a much inferior player. I don't think you could you really, that really applies here. Placida Polanco was a pretty damn good player. Um, you know, 40 career war somewhere in that ballpark, had some very good seasons in Philadelphia and elsewhere. Um, Utley couldn't crack the lineup. I mean, he didn't play, uh, you know, he played 94 games in his age 25 season, got fewer than 300 plate appearances. Uh, it wasn't until the next year that, uh, um, that he got to play a, a full season at age 26. And so, you know, his counting stats kind of suffer from that, but we have to take that into account. Um, we can see though that, um, you know, he had great power. He was a uh, very productive hitter, uh, high on base percentages uh, in his heyday. Um, he was actually, by wins above replacement, he was actually more valuable than either Jimmy Rollins or Ryan Howard in the years that they won their MVP awards. Yeah. He finished, uh, uh, you know, distant uh, 
seventh in, in 2006 and eighth in 2007, uh, while those guys won, um, you know, he was, he was, he was, uh, underappreciated. He never won a gold glove, but his defensive metrics are off the charts. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, he was worth, uh, from 2004 to 2010, he was, um, an average of 18 runs above average in the field, according to defensive runs saved. Wow. Um, he is uh, an exceptional fielder, uh, you know, in, in the rankings. He's also ex an exceptional base runner, um, high percentage. I think he's got the highest uh, stolen base percentage of anybody with at least 150 attempts. Um, he added 45 runs on the bases and another 24 um, via double play avoidance. That's uh, legging it out to first base or avoiding the ground mm. balls uh, to first base. This is not the time to bring up the Ruben uh, Tejada uh, uh, <laughs> uh, takeout slide. Although, you know, I mean, there's obviously that was a very polarizing incident. I don't want to minimize, you know, the impact of it on Ruben Tejada's career, but that that obviously also did have an impact on the on the rules change. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think, um, you know, the consensus was, um, you know, from a lot of you know, points of view that, that he was was uh, doing what, you know, it was, it was within the time-honored tradition of, sure. of you know, uh, bare knuckle baseball play at second base and and uh um you know that changed the game uh in the aftermath but to get back to at least value at his peak he was worth um seven to nine wins above replacement for for a, like a five-year stretch there which is just remarkable and for a longer stretch than that only albert Pujols was more valuable in the game but utley didn't win a single gold glove um because defensive metrics were not uh as widely disseminated or trusted um, he did make uh, what five straight all-star teams there, plus another one uh, later on, um, but really kind of underappreciated. And, and I just wanted, you know, when I wrote that article, I wanted people to appreciate just how goddamn good he was um, and how, you know, the, that some of the value that, that some of the things that we placed value on, um, you know, when it came to Howard and, and Rollins were a little bit more illusory. I don't want to minimize, you know, the yeah. impact of Jimmy Rollins as a team leader. Um, but you look at, you know, you look at at least career war 64 and a half versus Rollins is, um, you know, it's, uh, let's see what I've got here. It's uh, 40, 48 about, you know, it was about 25% less, less valuable over the course of his, or at least about 25% more valuable over the course of his career. Um, it's a, uh, it's a big difference there. And, and, you know, we see it in the voting now, Jim, uh, Jimmy Rollins has stayed on the ballot for, for a few years here, mm -hmm. um, but he's currently polling at, at 13.8%. Um, you know, about one third of, of, of what Utley's gotten. And, uh, you know, Rollins has, Rollins has some pretty good counting stats, 2,455 hits, uh, 231 home runs, 470 stolen bases, but uh, only a 95 OPS plus. And, uh, um, you know, so he's a below average hitter, above average base runner, very good base runner, in fact, um, above average fielder, though not quite in, in at least uh, uh, class in terms of the defensive metrics, but he did win um, four gold gloves. So I, you know, I think it wouldn't surprise me if he's eventually an era committee selection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I have not included him on my, on my ballots. I'm sympathetic to the idea that he's a hall of famer, but when I'm, you know, when I'm guided through my process, it's, 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 uh, it's driven by jaws. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's, I don't haven't voted for anybody who's, who's that far off the mark, uh, in the metric. And he's, he's pretty far, he's pretty far off, although he's, 
well ahead of Omar Vizquel, who was trending towards election until a couple mm-hmm. of years ago when um, the ugly uh, incidents uh, yeah. uh, of his came to light. Yeah, that's where that's where some of these and that's where the Hall of Fame arguments sometimes can get a little frustrating because you just kind of there are some things where you can kind of go round and round like I with the war and, and the jaws. You look at the, the Rollins numbers and they, they don't add up and, and it, you look at those numbers and he probably shouldn't be included. And I, you know, I, I tend to be a large hall guy um, like I'm, I'm one of those people that thinks Dale Murphy should probably be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Don Mattingly should be in the Hall of Fame. Like I just think like if you dominated your era in, in some kind of way, then I, I look more than just kind of past the numbers you know in terms of overall impact in the game um hall of fame different than hall of stats and stuff like that but the stats really do help tell the story of how good a ball player was so there's a lot of different things that all go into this and like you're talking about comparing rollins and viscal i think rollins was a far more uh effective player than than well-rounded player than viscal was rollins yeah absolutely yeah, and, and the fact that that Vizquel was seemingly gonna gonna be on the glide path to getting in, and, and Rollins probably won't, like you said, until he maybe gets to an, uh, a veterans committee, a veterans era committee, or whatever it is. I, I just thought, you know, there's a couple of things like Jimmy Rollins' candidacy to me is fascinating because you can group some of his stats together because of of the different kinds of things he did, especially for a shortstop, and it's remarkable. He's just one of five shortstop and shortstops in baseball history with at least two thousand hits in 200 home runs. Ripken, Jeter, Yount, and Miguel Tejada are the others. And if you forget about shortstop, the list of all players with 200 homers, 2,000 hits, and 450 stolen bases in baseball are Barry Bonds, Ricky Henderson, Joe Morgan, Paul Molitor, Roberto Alomar, and Jimmy Rollins. Like, I mean, this is, so it's kind of funny, like you can kind of, you can group some of these numbers together in a lot of different ways and make a very strong case for somebody like Jimmy Rollins. And also look at some of the numbers, like you mentioned the OPS plus, especially in the latter half of his career, where he was a below average offensive player. He certainly lost a little bit at the with the glove during the course of the latter part of his career. It's a, it's such an interesting candidacy to me, Jimmy Rollins. And, you know, I, I try not to be a homer about it, but when I see Jimmy Rollins, you know, it's, I, and I see some of the way those numbers numbers are grouped together I can I can see the argument for him being in Cooperstown yeah you know I think the thing about the thing about Rollins is the counting stats are more impressive than the rates stats. Um, right you know it's it's he's really held back by that 324 on base percentage and you know 418 slug um you know which is pretty good numbers for a shortstop yeah like you said he, he had good pop for a shortstop but but he's not a high batting average guy and he's, he's definitely has a low on base percentage and that really kind of you know so his value, I think, is 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 a little overstated by the counting stats. Yeah, um, it is a unique collection uh, of names that he's among there. The the guys you listed, but if you compare his OPS plus to those, he's not in the same ballpark. <laughs> right. Um, and that's but you know look, there's I, I, again, I don't want to I, I don't want to sit sit here and make it sound like I'm saying Jimmy Rollins is a terrible player. He's a very, oh yeah, he's yeah. to me to me though he's he's uh, um, you know he's uh, you know on the outside fringe, um, you know, of shortstops, uh, you know, Hall of Fame wise. Let's see, I have him. Um, he is, uh, let's see here. He is 34th in Jaws. Omar Vizquel is 46th. Rabbit Moranville, the lowest ranked uh, Hall of Fame shortstop is 40th. So, you know, there there are guys that Rollins is better than uh, who are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, three of the three of the 23 he outranks, although, you know, those are, um, you know, 
got some some old timey ball players in there. Yeah, we're using didn't, milk cartons for gloves during yeah, didn't, 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 didn't play, you know, or didn't didn't have the benefit of the of of, the, of as long as schedules and things like that. Right. Um. So you know, I, I like I think Jimmy Rollins probably ends up in the Hall of Fame twenty years from now. Is, is yeah. I think is is how I would put it. And, and I you know I'm I'm sympathetic, but I, at the same time I he's I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm not the constituency to to whom he um, appeals <laughs> the most, and, yeah, you know, whatever. And and, I, and look, and, I mean, you know, damn impressive career though, and and certainly, um, you know, at his height, I mean, you know, what the Phillies accomplished was 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 pretty impressive, and uh, um, watching the Mets fall on their faces uh, um, <laughs> in reaction was certainly something to see. I mean, I don't yeah. bear them any ill will, but I just sort of like. Yeah, that's not my problem, man. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. That was part of the whole narrative of of, of Jimmy. Yeah, that's for right. sure part of it. Right. Uh, and if, especially as Phillies fans, we really attach ourselves uh, to that specifically because uh, you know he was just a lot of fun and um, you know was able to kind of uh, just make make uh, make raise the game a little bit in in Philadelphia, which is which is kind of what you wanted to see. I wanted to also talk about Bobby Abreu a little bit because he's still hanging around the ballot. I wrote a story last year comparing Abreu and Rollins' numbers, and it's pretty clear that in terms of the numbers. Numbers, especially a lot of the rate stats, but even the counting stats as well. Abreu's case is much stronger, um, so that's that's not a surprise. Do you think he has a stronger case than Chase Utley? How would you compare the the Hall of Fame cases for Abreu and Utley? No, I think look, I I love Bobby Abreu, but to me, Bobby Abreu is kind of on the fringe, and and I'm going a little bit below Jaws the, the Jaws standard when I'm voting for him. Whereas Utley is 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 right there at the Jaws standard. I think you know the thing about uh, I mean Abreu was a was a fantastic all around player. Again, very underappreciated, um, probably especially in Philadelphia. Um, you know he was I know he was he was viewed as a bit soft and and you know didn't always get along well with his managers and and uh, um, you know to, uh, the the language barrier was probably you know probably didn't didn't help him either. Um, he kind of felt got the, got stereotyped as the as the moody Latino ball player, um, but boy, what a player and what a batting yeah. eye! I mean, just one of the just that guy could carve up the strike zone like a surgeon. Um, you know that uh, just absolutely um, a delight uh, to see him. You know, work the count and and I know some people they, you know got impatient with that, but I mean from like nineteen ninety eight through. 2006 um you know his 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 best years there guy had a, a 416 on base percentage and a 516 slugging percent 513 slugging percentage 139 ops plus that is just elite um 200 homers and 260 steals in that in that 202 homers 264 steals in that span i mean just like that is just a fantastic ball player and, and the shame of it is that he was gone from the Phillies by the time their whole, you know, build to those division winning teams uh, came yeah. to fruition. You know, it was really, I mean, you know, the trade again, they traded him in 2006 and 2007, yeah. they start winning. Well, um, the the narrative is that it opened the door for Shane Victorino and moving Bobby out and bringing Shane's energy into the mix is really one of the one of the key catalysts to the to the whole thing yeah. getting started. Yeah, I get it. You know, Shane was not a a, a perennial six win player, which which right. uh, which Abreu was his peak, which doesn't say you know Victorino. He has a very good season in Philadelphia. And certainly, was a lot of fun to watch play, and I get 
I get that he was more of a blue, you know, his blue collar appeal to the Phillies fans. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, look, I'm I'm well versed in in, in that. Having you know, <laughs> I've probably bandwagoned the Phillies. I was thinking about this this in October. I probably bandwagoned the Phillies more than any team uh, that I've watched in terms of like you know, I grew up a Dodgers fan back when the Dodgers and Phillies were battling in the NLCS in 77, oh, yeah. 78 and, and, you know, and a few other times. And, 83, you know, yeah. 83, yeah. So, like, you know, I watched those Phillies teams. I rooted for the Phillies in the 80 and 83 World Series as a kid. Um, certainly have enjoyed their, their October runs in each of the past two years. They've knocked off some heavyweights and done us all uh, Americans <laughs> a lot of favors and, you know, who they beat unfortunately for them they couldn't beat the Astros uh, in the World Series but um, you know they've been they've been a lot of fun to watch so you know I and I and the caught you know the contours of these players careers you know the the way that Rollins and 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 Howard you know were appreciated and maybe Utley and, and Abreu were not quite as appreciated although i think phillies fans appreciated utley more than it's it's just the national audience uh that maybe didn't didn't have quite the same uh appreciation of utley um you know to commensurate with his with his uh, uh all-around abilities you know just but understanding that that you're like you know what appeals to the phillies fans that blue color mentality i i, mm -hmm. I do get it and I, yeah i've 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 written enough about these guys to feel pretty comfortable with that assertion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want to throw one more member of the 2007 to 11 Phillies crew at you and see what you think. And I realize you you may not have crunched the numbers on him yet, so uh, this can just be kind of just a, a general uh, first blush, first thought kind of thing. But what do you think of Cole Hamels as a potential Hall of Fame candidate one day? You know, I've been thinking a lot about where the where the line for pitchers is. Um, I included Andy Pettit on my ballot for the first time this year. Uh, while acknowledging that I'm kind of dipping a little bit below um, what where the where the Jaws standard is, even as I've worked to revise it to make it a little bit more friendly um, uh, to mod to you know to to late twentieth early twenty first century pitchers, I think I think Cole Hamels is 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 let's see he's a yeah he's above Pettit and Jaws I think he's somebody I would probably wind up voting for I mean it's I'm a, it's a little disappointing that um you know his career ended the way it did um you know so many fits and starts and but uh um the guy was really really good and uh um you know there's a whole bunch of pitchers in that range that are you know like he's he's pretty pretty much even with Johan Santana. And I, mm -hmm. I really wish we'd gotten a do-over on Johan Santana, who won yeah. two Cy Young Awards, was a more valuable pitcher at his peak. And I think, you know, if you're talking about short career guys and, and um, you know, you, you really have to have a high peak. And, and Hamill's had a long career. He's got almost 2,700 innings, whereas Santana only had about 2,000 innings. Um, so they're a little bit different in that regard. But, you know, I think that we have to start considering you know the shape of, of of 21st century pitchers careers if we're ever going to see another one in the hall of fame besides um the big four who are who are uh still going strong in in uh well maybe not quite so strong in uh, <laughs> um yeah. Hershaw and Scherzer yeah. both both undergoing you know off-season surgery that that uh um threatens their availability for 2024 but Justin Verlander and, and Zach Granke being the others um uh, and then CC Sabathia hitting the ballot next year. Beyond that, I don't know who the next Hall of Fame starting pitcher is. I really don't. It might be Garrett Cole. It might take mm. that long. 
Um, Hamels is one who's going to come up in the interim, and I think we're going to have to think hard about whether um, this is uh, you know this is uh, where the line is because he's a little bit better than 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 Pettit and Burley, um, around the same as uh, Tim Hudson uh, in terms of Jaws. I didn't really give Tim Hudson much of the time of day, just like I didn't give Burley and Pettit much of the time of day. But now, I think if I had him on the ballot again, I think I would. Uh, I, you know, I might think a little bit harder about that. So, you know, we've got a lot of guys in that general area and uh, um, that might be what a hall of fame pitcher looks like now. Yeah. The, the, the days of 300 game winners is, is likely gone. Uh, but uh, you know, with p- pitchers pitching fewer innings, making fewer starts per year, it certainly is going to change the counting stats in the way that uh, hall of fame voters are going to have to look at starting pitchers in terms of uh, induction in the hall of fame. That'll be a very interesting thing to happen over the next 10 or 15 years. As some of these guys start to retire, I want to just encourage everyone to go check out everything that Jay Jaffe is doing over at Fangraphs, writing profiles on all these different players, whether they're a shoe in to get into the hall of fame, or they're going to be one, and Duns. Fascinating look at all of these guys. It's a good look down memory lane too at these guys' careers and all of them who are, end up on a Hall of Fame ballot. Pretty much all of them had great careers in some way or another. So it's a, it's good to read about all those different guys. And uh, you can check out Jay's ballot uh, at Fangraphs as well. Don't forget to pick up uh, if you want to learn more about all these guys and the guys who are already in the Hall of Fame. The Cooperstown Casebook is a great book. You should definitely go out and get. Uh, you can find that on Amazon, wherever it is you buy your books. Jay, thank you so much for coming back on Hitting Season. I really appreciate it. All right. Sure thing, John. Always a pleasure. All right, I want to wrap up here uh, this episode of the podcast, drawing your attention to a story by Matt Gelb in The Athletic on Charlie Manuel and his recovery from a stroke. It's a wonderful story. Of course, the the title of this podcast, Hitting Season, comes from one of Charlie Manuel's old uh, famous sayings. I enjoyed it. Got to be hot in the summer. He'd say it's hitting season out there, and you still you still hear it referred to when the Phillies are bashing home runs in August, how it was hitting season. I always love it when that happens because then I get to post the logo to the show up on, on Twitter and post it everywhere else. I say, yep, you bet. It sure is hitting season. It's always hitting season here when you're talking Phillies baseball here on this podcast with our good pals, WHYY and Billy Penn. But um, great article from Charlie Man- about Charlie Manuel from, from Matt Gelb uh, talking about his recovery from a stroke. And uh, I would encourage you all to, if you love Charlie Manuel, if you love those teams from 2007 to 2011, uh, Charlie's legacy as the really the best manager in Philly's history will, um, isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And it's great to see him making a full recovery. Be gr- Wouldn't it be wonderful for this Phillies team to win it all for Charlie Manuel, for Chuck here in 2024? That's what, uh, that would just be, that would be the the dream come true for this team here uh, this season. But uh, again, good article by Matt Gelb uh, on Charlie Manuel. Highly recommend everybody checking that out. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hitting Season. My thanks to Jay Jaffe for popping on the podcast and talking some Hall of Fame with us. I want to remind you to go on over again to sportspodcastgroup.com and vote for Hitting Season for Best Baseball Podcast of 2023. Uh, would really love your help in doing that and scoring the upset here as we try to take down some of the uh, the national baseball podcast behemoths uh, that are out there. Going to sportspodcastgroup.com. Uh, we also have a... Um, uh, a link on uh, billypen.com slash hit and season where you can find it there. It's also, I have a pinned tweet to my Twitter account at John Stolness uh, with the, with the link there. So you can find it there as well. Lots of different ways that you can vote for hit and season for best baseball podcast of 2023 sports podcast group.com. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We will talk to you next time right here on hit and season.